Well, we've taken a little hiatus, and I know you've all been anxious to have us back on. So uh, we're thrilled to bring on Anand Murthy, who's an orthopedic surgeon, uh, shoulder and elbow specialist, one of our country's most influential shoulder specialists. I really love this interview. He's so affable, passionate, intelligent, really is a master surgeon who gives back both to his residents, to his fellows, to his community as a whole uh, within orthopedics whether it be during research or medical device design, education, member of the ASCS and his shoulder registry and all of the dear friends that he has. You're going to absolutely love this episode. Hashtag follow the frog. This episode of the Ortho Show podcast is brought to you by ModMed. Envisioning a world where the orthopedic software we build increases practice success and improves patient outcomes. ModMed offers an intelligent, ortho-specific cloud platform of healthcare IT solutions that help surgeons and staff save time, drive efficiency, and elevate patient experiences. To learn more and see a demo of the number one EHR system, EMMA, as well as practice management, revenue cycle management, analytics, patient engagement tools, and more, visit modmed.com orthopod. That's modmed.com orthopod. ModMed. It's about time. From medical media, this is The Ortho Show. Hello world, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of The Ortho Show podcast, Dr. Scott Sigmund, where we bring you the best of the best in the orthopedic world. And today is absolutely no exception. I'm really very excited. We have Dr. Anand Murthy on, who is a professor of orthopedics from the uh, Georgetown School of Medicine, but also the chief of shoulder and elbow at MedStar Union Memorial Hospital in Baltimore, where I am born and bred. So we have some shared history. And literally, he is one of our country's most influential shoulder specialists. Anand, it is a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Scott, for having me on. Uh, I've been able to hear a bunch of your podcasts and excited to join you today. Uh, we're thrilled to have you because I know we have some shared history and you have a remarkable story and we want to be able to get to as many things as we can. And we always like to start on the ortho show just sort of from the beginning. You know, we have all kinds of listeners. We have orthopedic surgeons, young and old. We've got medical device and pharma. Of course, my mother, Judy's always listening to. <laughs> we have normal people that are not so technical, but you know, where, when, how, and why did you find up, uh, wind up getting into orthopedics? Where'd you grow up and how'd you get to Case Western? Give us a good sure. story. Sure. I, I grew up in Ohio. Um, my parents came from India, so I'm first generation, and my father was a pediatrician, and my uh, mom was a great mom, ended up in middle of Ohio, Ashland, Ohio, and then, uh, you know, went to school at Case Western up in Cleveland, uh, did my bachelor's there in med school, and got really interested in orthopedics uh, during medical school, had some great mentors. I, we'll probably talk about that, but um, you know, really loved orthopedics. This was a, a time of great innovation and in joint replacement and spine. And at Case Western, we had some, some great mentors and specialists and, and kind of thought leaders. And um, I actually met Dan Rue, who was a spine surgeon, world-renowned, who had trained at GW at George Washington, who influenced me to rank that place high. And I ended up at GW. And, um, and the rest is history. Met Dr. Navisor and then influenced to go into shoulder surgery. 
So, you know, we love shout outs at the ortho show. Let them go, man. Let's give I mean, when you got a mentor that you want to talk about, we'd love to hear about it for sure. Um, then transferred and did my fellowship at NYOH with uh, Dr. Biliani and Dr. Levine, who are still my mentors today. Yeah, no, it's interesting about your fellowship. So I think we're probably about five, five six years apart. I'm 57. You're probably early 50s. 52. 52. 52. So there you go. So so Bill and I, everybody knows, we were co-chief residents together. And uh, when you were doing the fellowship, he was the young Dr. Levine. He wasn't really the professor quite yet. And obviously, Professor Biliani was there. And just tell us about that year in particular, because I'd love to hear what it was like working with Bill as a young man compared to the uh, chairman as he is now. Sure. I mean, I'll, to be honest, his, his energy hasn't changed at all. Uh, he was always a huge advocate for residency training and fellowship training. And, and, you know, these are in the days where, you know, we had just started arthroscopy. And so Bill is on the forefront of us using new medical devices, these things called suture anchors. Um, And he was great at that time of letting us be hands-on and uh, along with, you know, developing our research and kind of our networking capabilities and um, and then Dr. Biliani obviously was a master surgeon and, and physician and taught me greater things than things in the operating room. Yeah, I had the pleasure of working with Dr. Biliani for one case. It was, uh, you know, so Bill and I were co-chief residents together and, and they would have a visiting professor. And so Dr. Biliani came up and did a shoulder replacement with Bill and I oh, nice. uh, as uh, as part of the uh, as the end of our chief year. So that was that was really amazing. What a larger than life person and just such an iconic leader in the world of shoulder. And, you know, we'll get to it because I know that, you know, medical device design is a big part for you. But I think like back then. I think we like nobody was even doing the glenoid and um, that's the cup portion of the shoulder. And you were doing like a hemi arthroplasty. You'd only replace the ball and maybe had like five sizes or something. It was like really well, in its infancy. It was, uh, well, we were, I was training during the uh, production and launch of the Biliani Flato system. So we saw at that time, what was incredible innovation. They were still cemented stems and, all polyglenoids, but, you know, lots of sizes, lots of modularity. And, um, and, you know, we got to learn a lot about kind of the way that medical industry works. And, you know, we got to meet a lot of corporate people and, and that really got me interested early on. Yeah. I mean, the Columbia uh, Fellowship is it's such a, an incredible wolf pack. I like to describe it. I mean, <laughs> you know, you guys really stay together. You support yep. each other. It's an amazing network across the world at this point, you know, sure. because of all the hard work that those guys did. And you were, you know, right there at the infancy, especially with Bill, as far as that's concerned. But what I'm sure it was just such an influential year in your career. Incredibly influential. I mean, just uh, from learning how to you know, do great surgery, but also, you know, learning how to do clinical research and learning how to train and teach. And um, I think that's where we all kind of got together and and continued the support. They, you know, those, those two especially have supported me during my entire career. And uh, we've gotten to do a lot of stuff together and train and teach and, and develop both all of our kind of strengths and weaknesses. I'll tell you one more funny, well, Louis Biliani story. So I have this patient up here probably about five years ago it was early on and he had a partial thickness rotator cuff tear and I, I was going to do the regenitin back then it was the rotation medical implant sure. and, and he was sort of an influential guy and he's like look I got, do me a favor Scott you're going to take care of me but 
I got this buddy of mine up in Maine, you know, he's retired. He's in the same community. <laughs> you mind just, you know, reaching out to him and talking to him? <laughs> I'm like, sure. No problem. And I'm like, do you happen to just mention his name? So I know who he is. Oh, like, here it comes. Yep. Dr. I Louis Billy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I'm going to have to explain this brand new implant to Louis Giuliani. I'm like, I'm toast. <laughs> but he was so gracious about it. We had a great conversation. And, and at the end of the conversation, he's like, well, maybe I should invest, you know, classic. <laughs> Absolute classic. Definitely smart. Definitely smart. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. All right. So then, so our our we our history trails together once again. But uh, I think your first job, if I'm not mistaken, is you go down to University of Maryland School of Medicine, where you become the chief of shoulder and elbow, and uh, that's where I had trained for my medical school. I was oh, wow. there from '86 to '90. Okay. Uh, yep. So you were there a little after me, obviously. But uh, how was that experience? It was great. I mean, I was you know it was very strange at that time or just different. You know, there weren't a lot of shoulder jobs, you know, you know, people who are training now or working now. I mean, we have eight to 10 fellowship trained surgeons in the Baltimore kind of DC area. And back then there were just few and far jobs in between all these places. I had to come back. My wife was a general surgeon training. I actually trained at shock trauma as well. And so with the help of, um, Dr. Biliani and, and Bill had actually done his sports fellowship at, at Maryland as well. Sure. And connections. And I uh, started as a junior sports attending because I needed a job somewhere, uh, somewhere near where my wife was. We'd already spent a year apart uh, when I was a fellow. And, um, you know, I took that job. Bill and Louie both said, listen, take this job, get your foot in the door and the rest will be history. And, um, uh, you know, I had people tell me I'd never, we could never, you could never build a all shoulder uh, job or practice in Baltimore. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of support, support of my family and support of, of, of those guys. Um, and we did it. Yeah, no, that, that, that's awesome. I, I think, you know, it's interesting. You make a really valid point. Nowadays, it's almost, it's almost second nature. You know, you could do a shoulder, shoulder fellowship, but back in the day, it was most people did a sports medicine fellowship where you had right. shoulder in it. You right. weren't really doing a lot of shoulder arthroplasty. It was really right. just arthroscopy. So developing a niche, you know, shoulder only practice back in the day when you started was, was still very rare. Uh, and so it was fascinating. You're able to sort of get that job. I mean, you bring up shock trauma. I mean, there's a few things that I remember the pink scrubs were always yep. so cool. <laughs> literally you like, it was like a badge of honor. You walk around the hospital, your pink scrubs, everybody knew you were right. shock trauma. And then I, I mean, I'm not sure how close you were, but Andy Burgess was instrumental in writing a beautiful letter of recommendation for me to get the curl and job. And then Attila Poca, who was just this beast of a trauma surgeon, right. you know, they, they really taught me tremendous amounts in the medical school, as far as the process of trauma and orthopedic surgery. Andy Burgess was the chairman who hired me. Uh, with Andy Pollock as well, who was kind of the vice vice chair of trauma at that point. Um, so I got to know Andy for for a few years before he moved on. But yeah, the trauma facility there is still was and still is just world renowned. Yeah, just an incredible experience, that's for sure. Uh, but never, uh, never forget those nights at three, four in the morning, the <laughs> helicopters landing. And it's like, sure. you no, know, fortunately my hospital now, the helicopters only leave. They don't land. So, good, you, know, good. you know, but I mean, the day. but shoulder arthroplasty, like you were saying, you know, now we have, everyone is doing hundreds, you know, yeah. back then, if you did 50 in a year, that was a huge volume of shoulder arthroplasty. Now at the advent of reverse and all these great products, it's, I think we're reaching people who had the disease who didn't know where else to go, but uh, 
Yeah, but it's a, it's a huge deal now, shoulder arthroplasty. Yeah, I mean, I, I always tell my patients, you know, it's not surprising that there's a lot more hip and knee arthritis, right? Because we're walking around on our hips and knees. Right. You know, you got to probably have bad genes or have had some sort of a traumatic injury to have to have shoulder arthritis. But we'll talk a little bit more about that because I know that you're, you've done an amazing job in medical device design, especially with the Enhance. Um, but, you know, so so then you made the move. How long were you at Maryland before you made the move over to Union Memorial? But- I was at Maryland for 10 years, uh, and then in 2010, moved over to MedStar Union Memorial. Um, and it was a great move. It offered me some more uh, ability to be freedom in what I was doing, uh, starting a fellowship. Uh, they had a great biomechanics lab and actually a, a full research institute. Um, they still had, still had a residency, so it, uh, it offered me a little bit more freedom to kind of build what I wanted to. Um, and it's been great ever since then. Yeah. I mean, so Mark Myerson was there for foot and yep. ankle and, sure. uh, and who's the sports guy that's my brains. My, um, Les um, Matthews was Les Matthews, of yep. course, Les Matthews. Les yes. Matthews just retired recently. Um, but you know, we have all the specialties, huge hand center, Curtis hand center. Um, so it's, it's really become over the last 10 years, an all orthopedic facility really now. And, um, that in cardiac and, uh, really a lot of support to do orthopedics. Yeah, I mean, absolutely one of the most, you know, underrated residencies at the time we guys had, because it was so rare to have all of the subspecialties covered. You know, more often than not, a lot of these programs, you'd get farmed out to other hospitals, you'd have to go to other places. But, you know, to have all of the subspecialists there was a really unique experience for the residents. And then you're really making great orthopedic surgeons, right? I mean, they right. they actually know how to operate when they're done, which is uh, which is really so important. So let's talk about, you know, some, some of your, your passions and, and uh, you know, I, there's a, a number of things that you do exceptionally well. And, you know, you use your, your master status at this point of your career, you know, 20, 25 years in, and what a, what a unique way to sort of pass on that information and knowledge that you have. So, you know, research is a passion for you. One of the studies that uh, I just saw your name on, which I think is really interesting, it's really becoming sort of a buzzword right now, is, is the fragility studies. Sure. And I'd like to discuss that because I think that would be great for our listeners to, to truly understand. I mean, so many of us, we read an article, you read the abstract, you read the conclusion, it's level one, it's level three. Okay, so therefore, you know, it is what it is. And maybe that's the truth and the gospel, or maybe it isn't. So describe the fragility side of things. I think it's sure. cool. It's, uh, you know, it's really interesting in, in- orthopedics research, how fragile or underpowered a lot of our studies are. And I learned that from Mohit Bhandari, who gave this great lecture on this this trial of tibial nailing in that, you know, they had a point in time during their study where unreamed tibial nailing was found to be the way to go. That gave the best results. And then they added another, I believe it was another 50 patients to the study or some small amount that flipped it to reamed nails. And this is thousands, we're talking tens of thousands. And so, you know, we have orthopedic studies where we have 20 patients, 30 patients, 50, and we're making really some large claims, whereas fragility is a term where if you had one or two patients or a few number of patients who had one different type of outcome or a different result, that would flip all of your results and conclusions. And so a lot of studies, you know, ours was on proximal humerus fracture studies show that the fragility of these studies is rather high in that fragility index. So 
it's it's a reason to do larger multi-center randomized studies which i mean that's another story that they're diff- those are difficult obviously but more expensive too expensive <laughs> yeah. harder to recruit um but it's something to always think about when you read a paper is how the fragility index can be high i think we're doing it a lot better than we ever have and that i mean Orthopedics forever has really been an experience-based phenomenon, right? I learned how to do this. I pass it down to the chief who passes it down to the fellows, which I I think has a real role in in education, right? Because I think if you've done something for 25 years, it counts, you know, what your your opinion is and how how things went. But at the same time, you know, evidence-based medicine is important so that you know, we can actually really feel good about the recommendations that we're making for our patients and hopefully the outcomes that are generated, you know, are really what we're looking for. Yeah, when we're, you know, we have journal clubs and we go over articles and I really, at the beginning of the training program, have residents and fellows learn about bias, you know, whether it's selection bias, recency bias, and a lot of these papers are done with some, you know, kind of disclosure or conflicts that the authors may have. And um, you have to be careful with that too. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. But I think that's one of the things, again, you know, as a, having a fellowship, I mean, teaching people how to read the research is so important and vital. So let's talk about another thing which, which you're passionate about. We've, we've been touching on it a little bit, and that's medical device design. You know, you were involved in that, the, the Biliani Flato prosthesis when it was first coming out. Prior to that, like I said, we had like six sizes of stuff and it was <laughs> right. just random as we really hope for the best, but there's really been an explosion in innovation in shoulder replacement. And I think you brought it up. I mean, there's different processes of the disease. It's not just about osteoarthritis anymore. It's about rotator cuff pathology. And so there's lots of different you know, ways in which we do shoulder replacement. So give us a little bit about your, your history and philosophy as to how it's developed. And then of course, the enhance is your baby. We'd, we'd love to hear about that. Sure. Um, you know, I got involved in medical industry rather early and um, with different companies developing for sports and arthroplasty and actually developed the first pyrocarbon resurfacing um, that was released in Australia. And that had some issues with cracking and fissuring was taken off the market. I learned a lot about um, how to find a good company to work with. There are good and bad because you need other things other than a great design, you need distribution, you need support. Um, so good and the bad. And I've developed actually a few things with Dr. Abood as well that have been great. And the experience is just very different from medicine. It's, it's, it's engineering, it's invent, being an inventor, or it's collaboration and kind of exciting to see your, your, what you put on paper come to the market. And so um, got involved with the Ignite Orthopedic team uh, which was a great group of designers and engineers and marketing. And we developed a, um, a stemless shoulder and a stem, short stemmed shoulder and a novel glenoid. Uh, and now just had reverse shoulder clearance as of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and we'll have a complete line with some really innovative products coming out. And it's been great to learn the FDA process. And, you know, it's a real struggle sometimes. And having these, these uh, experienced folks who work on the industry side has been a great uh, collaboration and relationship. We just got back from a recent retreat and kind of working on our next five-year plan. So um, I think it's something that young minds who are in orthopedics, it's really good to kind of mentor them through and because there is good and bad with medical industry. <laughs> um, you can you know, have a good experience or you can have a bad experience too. 
Yeah, you know, there's a few things that sort of come to mind with this. First and foremost, in our practice of 12 docs, we pretty much assigned one to be the, the shoulder replacement specialist. I mean, you know, I'm only 25, 25 miles north of Mass General Hospital. So it's not like we don't have a couple of good shoulder specialists sure, sure. downtown. But, you know, I think that you need the reps, right? Nowadays, there's a lot of ways in which you can take this technology and be able to use it. So you need the right indications uh, and then you need to have the right tools. And so I think it's great to be able to do that. So I think to our young orthopedic surgeons that are out there, you know, shoulder replacement is, is complicated and, and it's a very easy to do a poor job. So, you know, take your time, go, go to these, these, uh, these courses, learn the techniques, correct? Yeah. The, you know, these, you know, we, we ended up licensing it to Depew. And the advantage of those large industries is that they then can collaborate on the educational side as well, you know, because like you said, you're not finished with education when you're done as a resident or fellow, because there's what I did and Bill will tell you the same thing. What I did in 2020, or excuse me, 2001 is not what I do in 2022. I mean, it's very little of what I've done. So you have to keep learning and going to these courses and uh, that are put on by both the academy and industry and keep up your education because things change every month, every month. Yeah, no, you're absolutely great. Now we have to throw out a little fun for Joe Boot and and, you know, I think you're, you know, he's obviously the number one U.S. shoulder specialist at every conference in the history of, of America. <laughs> I'm like, I, I literally don't know. That's what, how I, tell him. I, That's what I try to tell him. No, I think he has to have a medical license in every state so that he can actually operate the state he goes to. Uh, but no, you're right up there, too. And, and that's a passion for you, too, is to be involved in the, you know, you're a member of ASES and also Mid-Atlantic Shoulder and Elbow. But you know, you go to these society meetings and these other meetings really to help educate. You really want to make sure that these doctors that are going to be using your amazing prosthesis know how to use it and make right, sure that right. you're going to get good results, right? I mean, it's a passion for you, I'm sure. I mean, innovation is just great. I mean, did you think you were going to be doing a distal tibia allograph arthroscopically when you finished training? I know. Never, never. Thank yeah. God I did. I swear to God, I lost a, a year of my life every time I did an arthroscopic ladder. <laughs> so you know, so yeah, literally, I'm, with, I'm so happy. I don't, you know, it's all good. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there's nothing that I do. I don't even, I, you know, it used to be I could do an arthroscopic acromioplasty or an arthroscopic partial menisectomy, and we don't yeah. do those anymore. We try to yeah. save the meniscus. And I mean, I think, you know, I, I have the same ideas that you have, you know, clinical practice is so important. There's nothing better than being able to help a patient and take their shoulder, you know, pain away and have them heal. But then there's also the camaraderie of innovation and medical societies and education, all those things really stimulate you to keep going and, and have a long, a long, healthy practice. Right, right. hundred percent. So another thing that you're involved in, which, you know, talking about research and, and about, you know, how we can really, you know, establish that what we're doing works is the new uh, registry by Oberg for the shoulder. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we, like we talked about in our re- doing research is having the right First of all, asking the right question and then being able to answer it. And retrospective is uh, has been utilized, but uh, not as good as a lot of biases when compared to prospective. So uh, once again, with this guy, Joe Abood, uh, and another partner of mine, John Bell, uh, we created this registry that is a uh, electronic registry, and we licensed it and partnered with Oberd uh, to produce a, a really easy system to capture data, both preoperative, intraoperative with imaging and postoperative. 
Um, and we've been able to use that already in some multi-center studies. We're gonna be using that with our new enhanced system. Um, and I think whatever, whatever registry you use, you should use some registry when you're out in practice to at least get the basics of how your patients are doing. Even my fellows who go into private practice, I say, you know, you have to start day one and capture what, how your patients are doing because you'll realize when you look back, sometimes you'll capture some complications or a trend that you can change. And if you never follow them, you think all your patients are doing great. And uh, sometimes that's not true. Great advice. Now, does that pair up with EMR at all, or is it going to be, is it a yeah, it, process? It, it, it pairs up with EMR and your, your admin up front puts in kind of the order sheet um, and then everything is online and you can use uh, any iOS device or for input. So interop data, you can, it really takes a couple minutes to do. I was so funny. I was with uh, a lot of great shoulder specialists down at Johnson and Johnson Institute for uh, sort of a certain advisory board yeah, yeah, I saw that. Johnson, this weekend. And so Ivan Wong was there, you know, the, the, the great, the, the great SCOE early legend uh, with his amazing arthroscopic skills, but he brought up a great point, which was, you know, we do, we do patient reported outcomes in a registry on every single patient. And one of the points that he brought home, which I really liked is like, we can show a patient, you know, they come back in, they've had an arthroscopic distal tibia or whatever, you know, they're not dislocating anymore. They have a little bit of discomfort. And sometimes they'll sit there and say, well, you know, I'm still not great. And he'll show them their patient reported <laughs> outcomes from before right. and after and how much better their scores are. And it's like a great other tool to be able to show your patient really the demonstrable differences that you're, you're making in clinical practice. But uh, that visual, uh, the visual showing of the patient, like what their delta has been or what their change has been. Sometimes they forget how that's exactly right doing before because they're doing so well now and they have aches and pains, like you said, and you kind of have to show them how they were at the beginning. Appropriate expectations for sure. Right, right. So look, as we're getting ready to close, you know, I know one of the things that you're really passionate about is mentorship. And so, so for the young docs that are out there listening right now, you know, especially who want to go into a career shoulder, what advice would you give them in their, in their road to success? You know, as a, when you're young and, and, you know, medical school residency or fellowship, I think it's important to seek out the correct mentors, and they may not be the famous person you know, but it's the person who's going to give of their time and their experience uh, and just be a great listener. Um, you know, hopefully, and fortunate, you know, it'd be fortunate they also have, you know, a lot of networking capability. But uh, I think someone who's always there for support is great. Someone in your specialty who can, has gone that path, and that's what, you know, a lot of us now do who are in shoulder surgery and mentors and fellowship directors and can kind of, you know, from your experiences, good and bad, can kind of help you lead the way. But getting a mentor or being involved in a mentor-mentee program, I run that for ASCS, has been invaluable, especially for people earlier in their practice. It's absolutely one of our favorite words on the ortho show, mentor. I mean, it's just such a special relationship to be able to help out so many that you can. And uh, you're definitely a leader in that. Look, Anand, it's been a pleasure, you know, having you on. I you know, we, we really greatly appreciate all of the efforts that you do across all of the world of shoulder and elbow, whether it's research, education, medical device design, you're, you're really showing us the way and leading by example. And we really appreciate you being on the show. I really appreciate, uh, appreciate the time. And I keep hoping to listen to some more of these podcasts as we go along. You're welcome anytime. You are now an official alumnus of the Ortho Show podcast. All right. Awesome. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.